What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Blockhash Podcast. Quick message from our sponsors, Pika Crypto and BNFT. Pika is revolutionizing the intersection of NFTs and gaming through their Pika trading card game, Elders of Kai. The TCG will be both digital, physical, and Web3 integrated, allowing gamers to play and compete in various formats. Whether you are a newbie or a pro gamer, there is a spot for you in Pika's ecosystem. Learn more, uh, learn more about Pika and Elders of Kai on their website and social media pages and join the Pika community on Telegram to keep up with the latest developments. BNFT is a groundbreaking platform that combines the unstoppable force of blockchain technology and the limitless potential of artificial intelligence to revolutionize personalized learning and earning experiences. Now, BNFT also leverages AI to create immersive educational environments for collaboration and utilizes DeFi to transcend traditional e-learning experiences. Learn more by going to bnft.solutions and their social media channels. All links are in the description below. Enjoy the episode, guys. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 343. Today, I have Constantine, the core team member for IPv4 DAO, here to talk about how they are decentralizing IP addresses in their DAO pool. Constantine, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Hey, Brendan. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. We're going to have a good conversation. Excited to learn more about what you guys are doing. This is a really fascinating uh, topic that you explained to me uh, just a few days ago about how you were able to do this with IP addresses. I didn't even think it was really possible. So uh, this will be really cool to talk about. Before we do, uh, tell us more about yourself. Well, what did you do prior? What's your background? What's your story, man? Uh, well, I'm. I have a background in uh, information security. I always wanted to be a hacker, but like the the good one. And mm -hmm. so uh, I've been working in as a cybercrime analyst for. Um, uh, well, protecting different large European banks. I was doing cybercrime investigation and black market research. Uh, I've also been involved in uh, Bruce Schneier's uh, project as an information security analyst. And I'm also a co-founder of a VPN company, Le VPN. And the mission of Le VPN is to fight for the internet freedom and uh, against the censorship. And so I was involved in this type of um, of missions of uh, of tasks since 2014, then uh, Ukrainian government tried to block um, internet access for the protesters during the Maidan protests, and I was kind of well. And we provided the, the free VPN access to all to uh, to ensure the, the the freedom of speech during these events. And we I was involved in different things like this, but like the the eye opening event eye-opening incident like that was uh the uh, russian government tried to block the telegram messenger uh in russia in 2018 and that was um something that made me think differently about ip addresses because like any um such incident well any kind of censorship um incident in ip address well in, in internet protocol is always go down to the same uh easy and quick solution, then you ban someone's IP address. 
because IP address is something that you need to kind of have to be able to interact in the internet, to be able to access the, access the internet. So if someone wants to ban a service, they just ban their IP addresses of their servers. And mm -hmm. or if someone wants to ban like a, a person, he bans his IP address and he's not able to access a different person's uh, uh, service. So what's like um, Roskomnadzor and Russian government did is that they like banned uh, Telegram proxy servers, but the thing is is that they did it en masse it's like they they banned millions and millions of ip addresses daily they kind of went full on on this uh, and tried to to block the telegram and the telegram uh, for the context was like the last uh the last uh, free speech uh app i would say in in russia so for me it was a very important mission and i've i've been involved uh, with them to uh, to help protect telegram to, to keep it available in uh, on the russian territory and it all ended in 2020 uh with the complete victory of telegram but it made me realize um a few things about ip addresses like how scarce these resources and how like uh how centralized it is and how unfairly and and unevenly distributed uh, ip addresses are because, for example, well, and uh, for for the context, we have like 4.3 billion of IP addresses, but we could only use 3.7 billion of them because some of them are reserved for like internal use. And um, out of this 3.7 billion, uh, the kind kind of the things that left for for the um, for the for the new projects for the new industries such as Web3 is uh is almost nothing because in 2019 we've depleted all of the ip addresses so we do not have a new ip addresses and uh like what how it worked before is that you go to the regional internet registry and we got like six regional internet registries for each region that each created like at a different time and they all manage this uh, big registry of ip addresses so like before uh in the beginning of the internet to get yourself an IP address, you'll go to the regional internet registry and you just ask them for that and they would give you like any amount. For example, like um, University of California and San Diego got 18 million IP addresses, which is huge. I, mm -hmm. I don't believe they use even the fraction of that. And like uh, US Department of Defense got 300 million IP addresses, which is like 8% of the world supply of IP addresses and is almost equal to amount of IPs the entire China got. And so I kind of started going down this rabbit hole, discovering uh, different aspects of that. And it didn't look pretty. It uh, looked like we have this like public good that... Uh, became an asset recently and that creates some kind of the landlords because 90% of uh, entire supply of IP addresses was distributed uh, for free. And uh, now like large companies like hosting companies, uh, cloud companies, they charge for use of IP addresses. So we have like this public resource that is being used, uh, that is being monetized by big companies because they were early and 
this this is ex um, also the the reason why uh, us owns um, 36 percent of world supply of ip addresses even though live the population uh, of us does not represent 36 percent of world population because they were early they they got their ip addresses then they were available and so i kind of started discover um different things about this entire system and um and results were were not pretty as i said because the limited supply of ip addresses and exhausted ip space it uh it brought us the rising prices for ip addresses and uh like in 2022 uh the price per one ip address got to 60 dollars and for example in 2014 it was about five dollars and before that there were no secondary market and we kind of have this like problem because we need secondary market we don't have a place to to get new ip addresses if you are like internet service provider like starlink for example you cannot get the ip addresses assigned and you need a lot of them because everyone relies on ipv4 so th this is how i kind of um started to think and to um to research more into into this space of ip addresses then that's what's brought me here today that's very interesting um it is it the lack of availability for ip addresses that's kind of gives it this value right now or is it other potential uses for ip addresses uh well i would say both uh because we have a limited supply and we have increasing demand for that uh because well everything is based on ip addresses uh each new innovative technology uh based on internet protocol there is no well that's the most common way to communicate on earth uh even like ipfs which is like interplanetary file system uh behind behind all that is uh internet protocol version 4 mostly well the the ip protocol and uh, kind of everyone uses that and uh, the more peers we got on the internet the more will be the demand for ip addresses and with the recent rise of uh, large language models and all of the breakthroughs in um, um, in machine learning it's pretty obvious for me at least that we will have increasing demand for uh, for IP addresses, for connectivity, for the use of the internet. So we will see more uh, more devices, more services um, appearing in the internet that will require internet uh, address. And that's not talking about like the, the last billion of people that we onboard in the internet that will all require uh, connectivity as well, as well. They will all need an IP address to, to be able to communicate on the internet. So we have this like limited supply and uh, growing demand uh, for um, addresses, which which may be a, a, like a best scenario for a catastrophe because uh, you see like uh, in 2022, uh, the price per IP address got like to sixty dollars, mm -hmm. and uh, it's um, and uh, the the whole trend was like. Uh, uh doubling the prices were doubling every few years it kind of changed uh last year because of this um new economical situation i would call it that way uh but if that trend were to continue if we if the prices per ip address continue to grow that would uh, mean um a lot of 
change and a lot of damage to the internet community because imagine like paying half of your uh internet service plan just for ip address just for being able to use a, an ip address and that's that's not something that could not happen that's uh, if we have this prices doubling a few times more and we'll go to we'll have this uh, type of situation where you just paying because you're using a resource that should have been free which is like a public good but somehow it became a highly tradable asset and uh, this is kind of weird and we we need to well we, we need to do something with it we need to to uh, find more innovative solution on how to, solutions on how to manage that how to solve this problem yeah it seems much more plausible with the advent of ai and more technological devices vr headsets and kits and mixed reality you know i imagine that just is going to skyrocket the demand one at one point in time or another so it that does make a lot of sense what about what you guys are doing with ipv4 dao how are you helping to alleviate or even solve this problem yeah right because we uh there are like so many problems with the internet protocol that uh, we have um um there's a lot to, to work on but we started with the with bringing more decentralization to this space because you see um the most of ip addresses are centrally owned that being said they belong to a corporation because you could not um, get assignment you could not even like buy them on the secondary market uh if you do not have like legal entity though there are exceptions for uh ripe uh, i would say um but it's and it's like a pretty uh pretty complicated and long and obscure process it but the um, the thing is that it's uh the um, centralized entities own ip addresses and that implies centralized properties to these ip addresses so they are not neutral they are used to uh, optimize for the purposes of the company that owns them and most likely it's the the profit of the company so for example uh if we go back to this uh telegram example when you kind of go to aws and tells them guys we'll need like uh, two million ip addresses because russian government tries to block us <laughs> they will not uh they will not give you anything because well it doesn't mean profit for them it means the more risks and and that's the kind of situation when it's only like uh, only one example imagine we will really have a network states in somewhere in the future those network states without their own uh, uh internet address pool that's gonna be like ridiculous uh if they rent some their in infrastructure and all everything will rely on infrastructure that doesn't gonna work so um so this is like the first problem we try to try to solve we create the decentralized pool of ip addresses we created uh well we've spent entire season zero uh last year uh to find the best legal entity to to make it possible because to own ip addresses you need a legal entity and mm -hmm. to make it decentralized you need the decentralized legal entity and we've been um searching through different type of legal vehicles including uh 
based in the United States. There were like um, this Delaware um, DAO. Well, not well. Sorry, not not the Delaware Wyoming DAO LLCs, etc., etc. So we we talked to lawyers. We talked with different projects, and we've ended up with um, incorporating in on Marshall Islands through a non-profit DAO LLC which is the company that do not have a CEO or like any C-suite executives. It doesn't have shareholders. It doesn't distribute profit. So we kind of solving the principal agent problem with this type of organization. And in our operating agreement, we have this smart contract based on which the governance of the DAO is done. And that's, um, that's pretty innovative way to do it. And so the the like the global idea is this is to have a DAO that manages a pool of IP addresses, but that's that is only the the first step for us because as soon as we finish with that, as soon as we got this decentralized pool pool managed by decentralized community a, a DAO, we will start to tokenize um, IP subnets and we'll start to bring more properties to to this space such as immutability, we will make it fast, we will make it efficient, we will make it uh, uh, transparent. Because what's happening now with the regional internet registries, they kind of, they are decentralized because they are in like dif in different regions uh, and, and so on. But in fact, they are still like centralized entities. And um, there is not enough transparency with them due to different reasons. Uh, but we want to make a system that's going to be trustless because we will base it on the smart contracts. It's going to be transparent. It's going to be immutable. It's going to be secure, decentralized. And that would uh, allow us to bring new properties to IP addresses. We will try to make them neutral and censorship resistance resistance because of this uh, decentralization. Yeah. Is there any aspect of this that maybe bumps heads a little bit with any of the um, agencies that manage IP addresses, like in the US, for example, I did for context, I did a episode quite a while back with the guy that created ENS, the Ethereum name service. Mm. And he was doing the same thing. Obviously, we all know about ENS and the .eth addresses and what you can do with them for querying information, potential websites, payments, and, and whatnot. Uh, he was talking about how they've, in the past, have issues with ICANN, which manages uh, domains mm -hmm. in, the, in the United States, and selling those .eth addresses, or at least making them available with those not being registered with ICANN, and they had a little bit of back and forth with that. I don't know if they ever resolve that issue or whatnot. Just kind of curious if that same thing kind of exists with IP addresses and if you've had any kind of uh, headbutting going on with any kind of agency that manages it. Yeah, same exact thing. I can manage uh, the IP addresses as well, not, not only oh, okay. the, I didn't the, know that. the, the domains. They, they kind of like oversee and uh, the, um, the regional internet registries manage them more like directly. And we are dealing right now with the regional internet registries. We haven't had problems with the ARIN, which is the North American internet registry. But now we are struggling a bit with the European um, internet registry, which is RIPE, because we are uh, 
new type of legal entity uh we well the this type of entity i think was created in 2021 by midao and uh yeah and I'll take the, take this moment to say thank you to Midao and uh, Adam Miller. They are really helpful in what we are doing, and uh, their their support is uh, is so much appreciated. Um, so they've created this uh, new type of uh, legal entity uh, designated for DAOs in Marshall Islands, and uh, as it was only recently created i think we were like the first 10 DAOs to incorporate there uh it's not yet recognized by some of the organizations such as ripe because they have this like procedures because their like agency was created like uh, decades ago and they have this uh thing then they need to to confirm that but for the moment i wouldn't say there is some kind of um special approach to us they just trying to figure out what's going on and how to to like handle um our legal entity but we i would say we are quite early in our um in our mission because well right now we are uh, registering ourselves as a local internet registry to be able to acquire subnets on the secondary market um and uh, the main like challenge in this um, in this step we're gonna be then we will um, acquire uh, subnets. Then we will go through the process of acquiring subnets because regional internet registry needs to validate each transfer of um, IP addresses, even if it's done like directly between uh, buyer and the seller. But so far so good, I would say. Interesting. Um, so how does IPv4 DAO work in a nutshell? So do you guys go and source out the IP addresses and put them in the DAO and then, you know, that, you know, gets handled as is, or do you have people contribute their IP addresses or what's the approach to kind of, um, saturate the DAO with IP addresses? Uh, well that that's a good question and we haven't got to this step yet because we need to to first uh register ourselves as a local internet registry and then we will pass to to this um to this step but that's uh, a, a really curious thing to do because there is no way to do it um uh, in decentralized way and so uh we well we already have um a seller who is willing to sell us his ip subnets but we want to make it differently because we are uh well our, our mission is to bring more decentralization to this space and we are building it based on open source approach and so we want to create this kind of instrument that will allow the transfer of uh, subnets uh, using the smart contracts because right now if you want to buy a subnet you need to find a seller you need to find a, well most likely a broker who will uh um who will help you with um, all the nuances of that you'll need to find an escrow and uh, then go through the regional internet registry to approve your request etc etc uh but what what we want to create is that we want to make um, a smart smart contract based uh escrow contract that will allow a decentralized transfer of the subnets and we are uh building that using the Chainlink's new functions um, uh, system. It's it's still in the beta. 
uh, and we are waiting to, for it to be released. I, uh, I've talked with Chainlink. I think it's gonna be somewhere, uh, probably September or like August, um, if everything goes well. But this system it kind of uses decentralized Oracle network, and it allows you to um, to decentrally confirm if the transfer was successful. And well. We want to build in this direction and uh, <clears throat> to provide um, the community with uh, with the tools to um, to better handle um, IPv4 transfer. Got it. Um, I also noticed that you guys had a token called Root Token. How does that kind of play into the DAO and what's the functionality with it? Yeah, that's our uh, first token, uh, the Root Token. We we have a limited supply of it. It's uh, 255, which is the smallest um, uh, amount of subnet of IP addresses you could buy. It's like the smallest subnet, 255 IP addresses, and that talking is uh, is used to bootstrap our DAO. And so we use this root tokens also to uh, compensate our um, members, our com contributors. Uh, for example, after the uh, season zero, when we figured out the legal entity that we want to incorporate in, we distributed uh, eight tokens to the core team. And at the end of this season, we will distribute 25 season or 25 tokens to the contributors. Um, and well, our objective for this season is to have this uh, first IPs in the in our decentralized pool. And Excellent. yeah, well, yeah, and I would add that um, we are releasing them uh, step by step, and uh, we have uh, eight next tokens available for mint at uh, mint.ipv4dao.io. So if uh, if you want to um, uh, to participate in our project, just go to the mint.ipv4dao.io and grab your token. Nice. I noticed in the the name IPv4 DAO. Uh, that you guys highlight IPv4. And I know there's an IPv6. I was curious if you could maybe uh, explain maybe what the difference is between the two and if there's any difference in focusing on IPv4 versus V6 or if that's a silly question or if that's a good question. That's uh, a really just, good it caught question. my curiosity. Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And it's, it's, it's kind of like holy war in the internet uh, between uh, like IPv4 and IPv6. Because... Um, what, well, uh, before I, I, I start, I would say that what we are building could be applicable to both IPv4 and IPv6. It's just I, in IPv6, we have this like immediate requirement to have a solution. And with IPv6, I think we will have the, the same exact issues, but like in a, in a decade or two. So the thing uh, between IPv4, IPv4 is the first version of the internet protocol and IPv6 is the second. So it's kind of, we skipped one, two, three and five, but that's okay. Why and did we skip five? IPv5, what happened? They they kind of tried to do some streaming type of thing, uh, mm -hmm. but well, it didn't end well and they abandoned the technology. Uh, but the, the thing is that IPv6 was created mostly to solve this uh, IP address scarcity issue. And it got much, much more IP addresses. Uh, like, I don't even know the name for, for the number. It's it, it's so big. Um, but the main issue with IPv6 is that it's not 
interoperable with IPv4. So two versions of the protocol could not communicate with each other. They could only do so uh, if they are uh, connected to the same um, uh, peer, the same uh, computer, for example. If, the, if there is a device that is connected to IP version 6 and IP version 4, then it could transfer the information between the two. Otherwise, it's not possible. And so we have this IPv6 uh, created, I, I don't remember, like 20 years or 25 years ago. And uh, like internet community was like, yeah, we now need to adopt it. Uh, and uh, 11 years ago, it, it actually like last week on uh, June 6th, it was 11th anniversary of the World IPv6 launch. It was the global effort to, um, to increase the IPv6 adoption, to make more devices on the internet to support IPv6. But like uh, last week, it was 39% adoption of IPv6 which is, I would say, uh, catastrophic. Because uh, the thought experiments I use for the like IPv6 adoption, and so you kind of need, um, if you want to communicate using only IPv6. So the, there is a thought experiment um, I'm using uh, in regards of the IPv6 adoption. Imagine you have a website. Imagine you have like a website selling t-shirts. And you kind of decide, do you want to uh, keep IPv4 or do you want to reject IPv4 and only use IPv6? And you kind of do it every year. And so this year, if you do it, uh, if you like reject all IPv4 requests, like even the proxies, all of the IPv4 uh, uh, users, you will only have 39% uh, of uh, the visitors being able to use your website, to reach your website. It's being, it means like if you bought an, uh, a campaign in uh, Google AdWords or something, and you paid for 100 users, you'll get only 39 of them, which is like the almost doubling the price for user acquisition. And it's most likely a no-go for everyone. You'll just pay for IP address, IPv4 address. You'll just support IPv4. But it's like today. But what happens like in 10 years? Because um, for the last 11 years, the average adoption, uh, well, increase in adoption in IPv6 was 3 three to 4%. And imagine we do good. We do like 4% every year. And in 10 years, we will have 80% IPv6 adoption. It's like, you think, yeah, it's more than like 51%. So it's probably everyone's going to switch to that. But in fact, uh, I would say no, because you'll still have only 80% of users being able to use your website. And you reject 20%, which is huge. Even like if it goes to 95%, uh, a lot of the services will, uh, will think twice before um, disabling IPv4. So we kind of still need to rely on this uh, protocol. We still need to use it. And to use it, we still need IPv4 addresses, which is for the moment the, the biggest problem with IPv4 protocol. Because imagine it's like it's working okay, but it's expensive because we have a limited supply. And so this, this is this kind of uh, thing that we, uh, we are facing with the IPv6 adoption. And... 
like in the community i've i've spoke with so many people about this and everyone agrees that yeah ipv6 is a good thing we need to uh, we need to invest in that we need to um to increase our adoption of ipv6 we need to do this but it sounds for most of the companies as like as a investment in fundamental science then you do not have like results of your investment right away and i got this thought that there is like uh, uh there is this notion of the war time and peace time for like for everything like for for the companies for the crypto etc and it looks like we are in the war time right now with the, all this economical instability of the war going on well all of that uh world situation we're more in the war time and in the war time you uh prioritize the projects that give you immediate results that help you survive and for most of the projects i wouldn't say a pv6 is crucial and well that's my hypothesis um but i see that the ipv6 adoption uh since the july of the last year it doesn't move a lot it's like one percent it should have been like three to four percent but this year we we have this slowdown and well we'll need to keep a closer look at what's going on in uh, in the years to come regarding ipv6 adoption but it looks like it's slowing down at least at, at this time um so yeah this, this is my, my my take on that good explanation uh final question before we start wrapping things up what so when ip addresses are in the dow when you get to that point when the dow saturated enough with these ipv4 addresses how can they be leased out to people or how can people inquire to get an ip address from the dow if they want to use it in the future whether it's a company an individual another entity um, what would that process look like eventually? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And that's our, uh, um, yeah. And our vision of this is that we want, um, we not only want to like to become another landlord of IP addresses just to mm -hmm. collect the rent, etc. No, we want to bring innovation to this space and we want to, to build it differently. And for that, we want to tokenize subnets. So you see, we have this smallest amount of subnets that we could use, which is 255 and different tech projects. Well, I wouldn't say it's like a consumer facing, but it's more like B2B face facing. But for example, if Starlink wants to acquire our IP addresses, uh, let's take, take them in the, well, yeah, to use or to acquire IP addresses, we will make the system where each subnet will be represented as an NFT which means, well, uh, kind of similar to what uh, ENS uh, domains do with, with the domain names. And that will allow um, them to, to be available on uh, public and open marketplaces, uh, basically on any NFT marketplace. And that will create uh, more transparency in this, uh, in this space. Uh, it will create the system that is permissionless and we will build this protocol to manage the this nft bound well subnet bound nfts uh, that will track if they are being actively used because we want uh, ip addresses to be actively used and we want our system to be efficient to be an efficient user of ip addresses we could 
uh, create the system that will um, activate this through the smart contracts. We will build the abuse and the reputation management system, probably based on some uh, LLMs. And uh, I'm so excited that we are building this from scratch using AI. It's like uh, the gift from God because it's um, it makes this project so much leaner uh, because this is the, like the big part of any um, IP uh, address management system. And we will make it more public, more open, more uh, trustless, fast and efficient. But uh, as how I see it right now, it will look similar to what ENS domain uh, do in terms of the in terms of the like customer could interact with it. So yeah, this this is our vision. And uh, I think there's so many things that could be done with IP space using like the the modern technology using blockchain using smart contracts, uh, we could um, change so many things, we could make it so much better using that. Awesome. This has been a really interesting talk. And I've learned so much about, you know, the IP address space, like I never really thought much about it. The only time I ever think about an IP address is when I got to connect to like a new VPN. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I want to appear in 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 the US, but I'm in Colombia or vice versa, you know, so I can watch Netflix or do something. Um, this is the only time I ever really think about it, but there's this whole kind of world out there around IP addresses and the importance of it and what's going on that I don't think a lot of people understand. And um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to highlight some of that and, you know, the problems and the solutions that you guys are putting on the table. If people want to learn more about the DAO, what you guys are doing, if they want to keep up with things and root you on, if they want to contribute and be a part of it, where should they go? Should they go to the website? Do you have a community? Do you have... Uh, other docs we are pretty active on the twitter so you just uh go to our twitter ipv4 dow we got a discord channel we got a forum uh and you could uh, reach out some to me directly i would be happy to um to hear different different views different takes on on this um uh, on this project on this mission uh and for now we we strive to well it's that's this pretty small space and it's pretty obscure and that what we want to do is we want to bring more awareness about that before it's too late uh because as, as i've said that could be a big problem to entire internet community if we don't handle that right uh, uh immediately absolutely Constantine, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today, explaining everything in such great detail the way you did and, you know, really contributing um, to solving this problem and being a part of the industry. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, Brendan. It was a pleasure.